we're on the we're on the simplicity. Uh, simplicity is the discipline that we're looking at uh, tonight. Uh, so we've looked at let me see if I can remember these meditation, and um, prayer, fasting, study, and then last week we looked at solitude, and then today tonight is, uh, as I've said, simplicity. Um, and for some of us, and I say this as I say this as as sensitively as possible, that uh, this this idea of simplicity is possibly going to be forced upon us rather than actually us deciding upon um, pursuing a lifestyle of simplicity. Uh, but I do, I do think there is there's challenges here for us in our no matter where, at what stage of life we find ourselves in, there's huge challenge for us uh, with regard to the discipline of simplicity. Um, but I do think and I do hope that there is something of value for us uh, in, in where we find ourselves at the minute right now. Um, Ecclesiastes, uh, I referred to, went to Ecclesiastes twice last week. Um, and I'm going just to start off with a verse from Ecclesiastes chapter 7 tonight. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 29 uh, says, This have I found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. Uh, the Jerusalem Bible, I like how the Jerusalem Bible puts it. It says that God made man simple. Man's complex problems are of his own devising. God made man simple. Man's complex problems are of his own devising. Uh, and so as I said last week around the idea of solitude, this is a, it's, an inward, uh, it's an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. And, uh, and I think the same could be the same could be said for the discipline of simplicity. It's an inward reality, and I think we'll see that as we as we go along here for the next few minutes. It's an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. Uh, I don't know why it's because I've been inspired by Captain Tom Moore, but I was reading um, I was reading a wee bit about a guy called Richard E. Bird, and uh, unless you're a mad keen explorer or into your rear uh, your admirals, rear admirals, should have got that line out quicker. Uh, your rear admirals, then you will know Richard E. Byrd. He was a naval officer, an American American naval officer, and an explorer. Explored North Pole, South Pole, um, a whole load of other things, a lot of other places. But he said this one of the things that he was asked about. Asked when he was asked one time about some of the things that he had learned. Um, throughout his life, he said, I am learning, I have learned and I am learning that a man can live profoundly without masses of things. That man can live profoundly without masses of things. And uh, reluctant, to, reluctant to media bash, like media can, we can, we can give media a, a hard time, sometimes rightfully so. Um, but media has convinced us, I believe, media has convinced us to, uh, to, to, that to be out of step with fashion is to be out of step with reality. To be out of step with fashion is to be out of step with reality. Um, 
And so I don't know who said this line. So uh, don't want to be plagiarizing. Don't can't remember who said it, but uh, in, in line of that idea of media convincing us um, the things that we need, somebody said that we we can crave the things that we need. We buy sorry, we buy things that we don't need to impress people we don't like. Uh, so we get so we get so sucked in by what the media convinces us that we need the status that we need to attain to, the stuff that we need to accumulate, uh, the place that we need to find ourselves in, the holiday, all whatever it is, sometimes media can convince us, or maybe not even media, maybe just our peers, maybe just people around us. But we can often end up buying things we don't need to impress people that maybe we don't like is a bit harsh, but to impress people that we don't even know. Um, and so I've just been, I've been thinking, I don't think it's as big an issue now at the moment, but I do remember at the way back at the beginning of all of this when um, there was so much hoarding going on that people were just gathering loads and loads of stuff and uh, people were calling it. I think there are some people were convincing themselves that it was wisdom that hoarding, we can end up calling hoarding wisdom because we're like, we are... Uh, thinking long-term, stuff like that. We can end up convincing ourselves that covetous, covetousness is is ambition. And I don't think any of that is helpful. I think there's this modern type of thinking. There's this modern thinking that defines people by how much they produce or by how much they earn. And I think the Bible says, there's an, the Bible says enough to go against all of that. I think the Bible says that hoarding is not wisdom. Covetousness is not, you can't call that ambition. You can't define people by how much they produce or by how much they earn. And I think especially the Gospel of Luke, uh, he he makes it clear that what the Bible says around exploiting the poor and gathering wealth um, is pretty straightforward. So let me just point you to a few places. Um, Luke chapter 6. Sorry, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 and verse 13. Um, says that no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Luke chapter 6, verse, verse 20. Um, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then a few verses later, uh, in the same preach, Jesus says, woe, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. It feels like what the Bible says around exploiting the poor and gathering wealth for yourself is pretty clear and pretty straightforward. And one of the things that has challenged me in this season, from a, just from a personal perspective, is that wherever you find your treasure, there you will find your heart. And um, and that's that's a nice verse, and it's a nice it's a nice memory verse to quote. But actually, in the daily activity or the daily thinking through of the, what's going on in your mind what you're consumed by, 
it doesn't take too long to identify where your treasure is. And where you find your treasure is where you will find your heart. And look again in chapter 12, verse 33, says, um, sell your possessions, give to the poor, um, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, and a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And then just to go back a few verses, let me read this parable of the rich fool that you may be familiar with. Uh, Jesus telling the parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night you, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anybody who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Like, I don't know about you, but some of that, that, some of that can be incredibly thought-provoking, incredibly challenging. I think, especially in the Gospel of Luke, especially as we look at what Jesus has to say, exploiting the poor, gathering wealth for yourself, what the Bible says seems pretty clear and pretty straightforward. It is definitely clear that where you find your treasure, that is where you will find your heart. And uh, just to continue in line with just, like, I know I'm just firing verses at you here, but um, Matthew, Matthew 13 Verses 45 and 46. Talking about the, the hidden pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. Uh, and then to go back to Luke again, Luke 6 verse 30. Give to everyone who asks of you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you will have them do to you. And I suppose I'm just reading through many of these verses. What has challenged me is there is seems to be this joyful life of carefree unconcern for possessions. I know that that's a mouthful. But Jesus seems to be saying that there is a way to live, to, to live it joyfully, to live content without, with a carefree unconcern for possessions. And so there is a modern thinking that is defining us by what we produce or what we earn or what we have. And we can get sucked into that. But the Bible almost seems to be presenting us with a completely counter-cultural way of thinking with of of behaving of believing and uh, and this idea of being content has uh, has just been niggling at me the last couple of days uh, I think I was sharing with a couple of people on Sunday uh, just just this, this idea of being content Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 I have learned the secret to being content and there's something about Paul that there's something about that line from Paul that 
that I feel I just kept coming back to over and over again. Holy Spirit, would you just would you just teach me? Would you teach me the secret of being content? Paul says that there's times where he where he was where he had where he had enough. There's times where he where he did not. There's times where he was in that he had enough to eat. There was times where he was really lacking. But it didn't seem to matter. He had this unconcern. He had this joyful uh, life of carefree unconcern for possessions because he learned the secret of being content. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I think will be a verse that's familiar to most of us. The second half of it, at least. The second half of Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. But actually, the first part of that verse, I think, is equally important. It, it, and uh, just so I don't misquote it, Hebrews 13, uh, verse 5, God has said, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We know that. It's maybe in some fridge magnet on some of your homes. Uh, but the first half of the verse, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. I think that's a really important lesson. It's a real challenge for us. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's why I love that verse. I absolutely love the second half of that verse, but there's something about it. There's something about remembering the first half of that verse at the moment that is seems really important. So feel like I just feel like that has been Lord just speaking, like be free from be free from having to be consumed by by money, by what you have, be content. Because God has said, I won't leave you, I won't forsake you, I won't let you down. If whoever puts their trust in me will not be disappointed. Whoever puts their hope in me, I will not put them to shame. And so I'm aware that I'm just, I sort of feel like I'm just finding stuff out you here, just find Bible verses. Um, I don't know the best way to do it. I hope some of it sticks. <laughs> um, but I suppose there's, it's, for me, it's worth saying as well, uh, without spending too long on this, which we probably could, that we can swing the pendulum the other way. And there's people that have, there's people that have done that and have lived a life of extreme self-denial, have lived a life denying any satisfaction at all and so hope you in what i'm saying here you don't hear that because there's that that way of life it just renounces possessions completely but what i think simplicity does what i think the discipline of simplicity does is sets possessions uh, in their proper perspective does that make sense so it, it, the extreme self-denial is renouncing like all stuff and all possessions. And that's that's not what I'm saying. I think simplicity sets things in their proper perspective. And this is, I think this is a really important line. Simplicity sets us free. Richard Foster said this. Simplicity sets us free to receive the provision of God as a gift that is not ours and can be freely shared with others. I think that is really important. Simplicity sets us free to receive the provision of God as a gift that is not ours and can be freely shared with others. I'm not going to take the time 
because we're afraid not find it quick enough. But Deuteronomy chapter 8, I think there's a couple of verses in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that have been reminding us from the beginning and right up until now that it does not what you have, it doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to you. And so I'm not putting this on anybody else, but for, for me and Judith, like one of our things around, even around like adoption and fostering is like this home does not belong to us. This is not our home. It's been, it's been given to us to steward. And so our question is, how can we use our home better? Jesus, how can we better put our home to better use? This is your home. How do you want us to use it? And honestly, we don't always think we've got the stuff that we still hold on probably too tightly to. But I think it's really, it's really important. I think this is actually one of the keys to even getting our head around the discipline of simplicity. Because if we think that anything that we have belongs to us, then this idea of simplicity, I think, will be a real struggle for us to, to practice. It will be a discipline that is really difficult for us to exercise. And so I th- if, so that in some ways, that is, a, that is a key, I think, to, to get our heads to fully enter into the discipline of simplicity. But if I had to make, if there was a central point, if there was a central point of simplicity, it's in Matthew 6, verse 25. If, it, if you forget everything else, uh, remember Matthew 6, verse 25 to 33. It's a, it's, a, it's a place where I feel like the Lord spoke to me just right at the beginning of all of this. Uh, and I think I spoke, I think I shared it uh, the first Sunday morning, so I don't need to go over it all again. But it was one of those moments where I felt like, as I sat back and realized what was going on, it was like, Neil, where is your trust? Neil, what is it that you're clinging to? Where is your treasure? And that was like, oh my goodness, this is so challenging. Kept reading, kept reading. And then Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and all everything else will be given to you, will be added onto you. And it just, it, it feels like that is central because what Jesus says here in his stunning sermon that he preached uh, is that everything hinges on maintaining the first things as first. Everything hinges on maintaining the first things as first. Seek first the kingdom and all of these things will be added onto you. And I know I've said this a lot of times, but just to say it again, the person who does not seek the kingdom first does not seek it at all. The person who does not seek the kingdom first does not seek it at all. And so this is this idea of trust is, I think it's really important. Uh, the theme of trust has probably been one of the things that has been a thread through so much of what I've been thinking through and what I've been sharing. Uh, even to go back a couple of weeks to the Psalms of Lament. Like, I just felt a freedom as I went through the Psalms of Lament. Like, there's some stuff that I was able to just offload to the Lord. There's some stuff, God, I don't need to carry this burden. I don't need to carry this frustration. I was able like, just to, bleh, to get it out. But as I, as I worked through that, I was able to conclude, that, as the psalmist did, with an expression of trust. And I think what simplicity is, the discipline of simplicity, is an, it is an inward spirit of trust. 
Because I think, again, some of us need to hear this. A person could be living without things. Like there's, we could be living without stuff, but still that does not guarantee that we are living in simplicity. We could be living without things, but that does not, is not, that's not automatic. That does not automatically guarantee that we are living in simplicity. And isn't it Paul that says it, that the love of money is the root of all evil? Not that money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so those who, those who have at least can be the people that love it the most. And so just because you don't have stuff does not mean that you're automatically, uh, you're, not, you're not automatically living out the discipline of simplicity. You're not living in simplicity. I'm, I'm saying that sensitively. I hope you hear me. Because there is, and maybe you will know some of those people, those who have it least, those who have the least money love it the most. And, uh, and equally, another side of the coin, wealth wealth does not bring freedom from anxiety. I think we've, we've seen that. I think we've seen enough high-profile people, even in the media, that like we can see that wealth does not bring freedom from anxiety. And that's why it's worth saying that living in simplicity, it's an inward spirit of trust. And... Uh, yeah, so I think it's really important just to say again that what we have is gift from God. I think it's worth saying again that that as we look through some of the verses that we've read in Luke, and more so than that, just as we look at what Jesus said and what Jesus how Jesus lived, we would have our goods available to others. Just to go back to that point, simplicity sets us free to receive the provision of God as a gift that is not ours and can be freely shared with others. So we live with this understanding that what we have is gift from God, then that is inevitably going to help us live out much of what Jesus has instructed us to live, to be able to be carefree with our stuff, to be able to give it away. I'm not saying that we do that recklessly, but I think there is a certain abandon that we, that we give to people that need, that are in need. What we have is gift from God. We have our goods. What we do have, we have make it available to others. Uh, and we find, I think we find that idea difficult. I do, like there is part of me does find that, that idea difficult because we can fear for the future. I like have four kids and a teenage uh, foster daughter which who by the signs of her is going to be living here till she's 30 and so I there's part of me that is like finds the idea difficult just to be to be able to have my stuff so freely available to others because of fear for the future and we can so we can cling to our possessions we can cling to what we have because we are anxious about tomorrow and I like, and so don't hear me saying all of this as if I've worked this all out, and then I'm presenting this to you guys to like, come on, you need to come, you need to come and join me here in this, in this, uh, this lack of anxiety or worry about all of that future stuff. Like I'm not saying that I'm there, but I'm, but I feel like the like the Lord has convinced me that like what Jesus has said is, 
is enough for me to wrestle through that what, what I have is not mine. And so if it's not mine, it's made available to others. And that I, I close, close with, it, with this, that that is how, why we're told of the early church in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Like that is, I feel like that's been my prayer over the last number of weeks, that what the church would come out of this moment looking like Acts 42 to 47, devoted to Jesus, devoted to his teaching, devoted to his ways. And if there was anybody that is that was in need, well, when we gather around, we pull all the resources in that we have and make sure that nobody is in need. That's how the church lived, because I think we follow the example of Jesus. They were living out all of the stuff that Jesus had taught them. And we're told that again in Acts chapter 4, well, everybody everybody that was that was living felt like all that they had was not theirs. And that's why they were able to lay everything at the apostles' feet and say, wherever there's need, like bring it there, because this does not belong to us. And so let's make sure that nobody is lacking here. And uh, so that is, a, for me, that's a remarkable outworking of the discipline of simplicity is whenever we see it so clearly emphasized in the life of the early church. Uh, and so I've done, there's a whole load of list of other stuff here um, that I have. Let me just read through, let me just read through the list of a few things uh, that I think are outward expressions. Literally will be one minute. Uh, some, so I suppose some tips, uh, some advice. Buy things for their usefulness rather than for their status. Buy things for their usefulness rather than for their status. Reject anything that's promoting or producing an addiction. Whereas Coke, coffee, TV, Netflix, Disney Plus, whatever it is. Develop uh, a habit of giving things away. Don't get sucked in by the latest gadget. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. Uh, so like like public parks, Gosford, library, whatever, things like that. Uh, deeper appreciation for creation. Uh, Psalm 24 the earth is the Lord's and everything in it uh, develop a deeper appreciation for creation um, be careful of buy now pay later schemes obey Jesus' instruction about plain and honest speech reject anything that breeds the oppression of others so where do our products come from all of that uh, and then shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom so whether that's your job or whether that's your title, whatever it is, shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom. 